Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these verses of scripture to which we turn this morning. And we pray for your help now as we come to them that you would help us to understand uh, what these verses have to say to us as the church today. That this might promote our well-being as a church family uh, for your glory's sake. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So please do have those verses, 1 Timothy chapter 3, open in front of you, and perhaps Acts chapter 6 uh, as well, as you look at these things this morning. And if you were here uh, last Sunday morning, you'll know we looked at the first half of 1 Timothy chapter 3, and in those verses is talking about the office of overseer or elder within the life of the church. That is those who are given this responsibility of leading the church and teaching the church. And then in verses 8 to 13, Paul now turns to the second office that he's going to describe here, and that is the office of deacon. Now last week we used this illustration, didn't we, of a, a job advert to help us understand uh, these things. We mentioned the fact that the first thing when you look at a job advert that you see is the job title. But you don't just look at the title. You know there's much more that you need to discover. And so having read the job title, if that catches your eye, then you're going to read on down a bit further and you'll read the job description. And you'll find out, well, what does that job actually involve on a day-to-day basis? And then having read the job description, if you're still interested, you will then read the qualifications. Who actually is qualified to, to serve in this role? And we'll use that same framework, the job title, the job description and the job qualifications as we look at the title of deacon this morning. Uh, The title, the job title, literally means a servant, one who serves. And if that's the title, then let's move beyond it and ask, well, what is the job description? We need to know much more than just the title uh, this morning. What is the description of the job? What does a deacon actually do? in the life of the local church. And again, Paul, you notice, uh, doesn't give us the job description in 1 Timothy. Of course, we need to remember this is a personal letter from Paul to Timothy. And Paul knows that Timothy knows what a deacon does, just as Timothy knows what an elder does. And so Paul doesn't waste ink explaining these things to Timothy in this letter. And for that reason, once again, we need to take a step back from this passage. We need to have a look elsewhere in the New Testament and see what we can find about the job description for deacons. And most people would see Acts chapter 6 as the key place to identify the origins of this office of deacon in the life of the local church. Uh, The early church 
in Jerusalem was growing rapidly. As the apostles preached the gospel, more and more people were coming to faith in Jesus. They were joining the church. And for sure, opposition to the church was growing. But as well as that, the church was growing. God was adding to the church more and more people who were being saved. And yet, a problem then arose within the life of that church in Jerusalem. There were two main groups in the church, the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Now, the the Hellenists were the Greek-speaking Jews. These were people who had grown up in the, the dispersion of the Jews in other countries. And they had now moved back to Jerusalem, but Greek was their first language. And then the Hebrews, on the other hand, were the native Palestinian Jews who spoke Aramaic as their first language, and they'd grown up in or around Jerusalem. They'd attended the Hebrew-speaking synagogues there. And sadly, there was clearly some friction between these two groups in the church. And it came to a head over the daily distribution of food that the church used to do in those days, caring for those who were needy in the church, and especially caring for widows, who in that society have no means of providing for themselves. And the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, thought their widows were being neglected in this. Maybe it was unintentional. Maybe the language barrier was something of an issue. The message wasn't getting through about who needed uh, the food delivering to them. Maybe things were just missed in translation. Maybe it was preferential treatment. But whatever it was, it was not a, a good situation. And this crack was starting to appear in the church family along this cultural line. And of course, that should never be allowed to happen, whatever our background may be. As Christians, we're one in Christ. And that unity was under threat in that church for this reason. And so the Hellenists brought this complaint to the church. They brought it to the church and the apostles have to now deal with it. How are they going to deal with this difficult pastoral situation? Remember, they have a growing church. The apostles themselves are incredibly busy with all the preaching and teaching of the church. And yet the mercy ministry of the church, the care for those who are in need, is not happening the way that it ought to. And so the 12 apostles gather the whole church together. They call a meeting of the church. And they explain how they're going to deal with this difficult issue. And this is what they say. It is not right 
that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And you see, the apostles know that their primary calling is leading and teaching the church, this ministry of word and prayer. And they can't allow themselves to get dragged away from that responsibility to deal with all of these practical needs within the church, important though those practical needs undoubtedly are. And so under God's guidance and with his wisdom, they decide that they will set apart a group of men who will be given this responsibility of dealing with these kind of matters in the church. These men must be of good repute. They must be full of the Holy Spirit. They must be wise. And therefore, they must be trusted. And they must be trustworthy with dealing with these kinds of matters. And as they do so, the elders, the apostles, as they serve in that church, can devote themselves to their main calling. And so that's what the church did in Jerusalem. They gathered together. The church family chose this group of men who would serve in this capacity, which today we would describe as deacons in the life of the church, though the title deacon is not actually used here in Acts chapter 6. And having chosen these seven men, they then set them aside. They brought them before the apostles. The apostles prayed for them. They laid their hands on them, commissioning them to this work. And the result, Luke tells us, was that the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So that's the origin then. What is the the description of the deacon, the job description? How do we summarize the job description as described to us there in Acts chapter 6? And I want you to see that there's basically two sides to it, isn't there? Uh, Firstly, deacons protect word ministry. That's what we see in Acts chapter 6, isn't it? There are many needs in the life of the local church, and especially in a growing church, as was the case in Jerusalem. The number of practical needs in the church just keeps growing exponentially. And if the elders tried to, to sort out everything themselves, inevitably the preaching would suffer for it. And so deacons are there to protect word ministry. They attend to certain things in the life of the church so that those who are called to preach and teach can devote themselves fully to that. And of course, the other side of the office of deacon is that they promote mercy ministry. The mercy ministry of the church in Jerusalem, as we've seen, was not functioning correctly. And so these deacons are put in place in order to ensure that the mercy ministry of the church is going to get back on track and function properly. So this is how we can summarize the job description of the deacon. 
Think of it in these two ways. Deacons protect word ministry and they promote mercy ministry. They lift burdens from the elders so that the preaching of God's word is protected. And as well as that, they seek to keep the mercy ministry of the church functioning well. And in that, they look to the the practical needs of the church, whether that's maybe allocating money to particular works, um, seeing to particular things around the fabric, the, the material assets of the church, caring for practical things that come up in the life of the church family. Really is a key part of church life, isn't it? And we are incredibly thankful to the, the deacons that God has blessed us with here for the way that they serve in this capacity in the life of this church. And having looked at the, the job title and then the, the job description, the next thing we want to look at are the qualifications. So who should be chosen from amongst the, the church? to fulfill this office of deacon. Well, we've had a hint of that already in Acts chapter 6, haven't we? The apostles there stipulate that those men chosen must be men of good repute, full of the spirit, and of wisdom. So there's a few qualifications to bear in mind there. But in 1 Timothy 3, Paul goes into a lot more detail about the kind of person who's suitable for this role. And immediately we should notice that a lot of the requirements or qualifications overlap with the qualifications for elders that we looked at last week. Remember from last week, the qualifications for elders are mainly about godliness. 14 items on the list, 13 are about godliness. And one is about giftedness. And likewise, deacons should be godly men. That's why the qualifications overlap so much. And the notable difference between these two lists of qualifications is that for deacons, Paul says nothing about the ability to teach. Now that makes sense, given what we've looked at already, doesn't it? That the office of deacon is there to protect word ministry, not actually to be a teacher or preacher themselves. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that deacons shouldn't teach or preach. In fact, if we keep Acts chapter 6 in mind, then one of those that are chosen as, as a deacon, Stephen, in the very next passage we see has a preaching ministry as well, preaches an incredible sermon, doesn't he, in Acts chapter 7. And so if they're gifted in preaching and teaching, then deacons, of course, can do that as well. But the point is, that's not a requirement for being a deacon, as it is for being an elder. For someone to not have the gift of being a teacher or preacher in the church, that should never prevent them from being a deacon in the church. So what are the qualifications for deacons, then, as set out by Paul here in 1 Timothy 3? Well, As Timothy is trying to lead this church in Ephesus, and as he and the congregation together seek to appoint deacons in the life of the church, Paul gives him these helpful guidelines about the kind of people who are qualified 
for that. And we can look at these qualifications under four simple headings this morning, just very quickly. Firstly, his dignity. Paul says in verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified. That word means living an honorable life, a life that is worthy of respect. And in the rest of that verse, Paul unpacks for us three particular areas where this dignity must be seen. So firstly, in terms of words, he must not be double-tongued, as Paul literally puts it. That is not the, the kind of person who will say one thing to one person and then say something completely different to another person. Not someone who would say certain things in public, but then behind closed doors speak in a completely different way. As someone has beautifully put it, he should be the kind of person who would not be afraid of selling the family parrot to the town gossip. It's a great way of putting it, isn't it? A lovely turn of phrase. Not afraid of selling the family parrot to the town gossip. Someone whose speech is honest. Someone whose speech is consistent, whatever he is, and to whomever he is speaking. Then the next area of dignity is in terms of alcohol. He must not be addicted to much wine. Or as we might put it, not someone who drinks to excess, or not someone who is an alcoholic. And as well as that, he must be dignified in terms of money. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Now, by its very nature, serving as a deacon is going to involve money, uh, receiving the offerings of the church, counting the offerings of the church, allocating that money to particular needs in the church, uh, delivering that money to those needs. The last thing you want in that kind of role is someone who's obsessed with money. And so Paul says to Timothy, when you're looking for new deacons, firstly look at their dignity. When it comes to words, alcohol, and money, are they living a dignified, honorable life, worthy of respect? And then secondly, having looked at his dignity, have a look at his faith. Paul says deacons must hold the mystery of the faith. That is, they must, they must have a good grasp of the gospel. And again, it doesn't mean that they should be able to preach or teach or give talks or lead Bible studies or, or that kind of thing. Although, of course, if they have those gifts, then that's great as well. But what Paul is saying is that deacons should know the gospel themselves. They should have a grasp on it. They need to know who Jesus is. They need to know why he came into the world. They need to know what he did to save us. They need to have responded to that gospel with repentance and faith in Jesus. And that leads naturally to the next thing Paul says in verse 9, doesn't it? They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, the faith that they hold must show itself in the way that they live their life. They need to be living a consistent Christian life so that they have a clear conscience before God. They don't need to be perfect, of course, otherwise no one would be qualified as a deacon. But whenever they sin, they need to repent of it quickly. They need to confess it to God. 
they need to seek his forgiveness in Christ. They need to seek the power to change through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so as Timothy seeks to appoint deacons in the church in Ephesus, they must look at the faith of prospective deacons. Do they hold the right Christian beliefs? And does that then show itself in Christian behavior? And then third, they look at his track record, says Paul. Or as he puts it, let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. And you remember that when we were looking at the office of elder last week, Paul sounded this note of caution about trying to fast track someone into the eldership too quickly. Remember back in verse 6, he said, an elder must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And here as well, there's this note of caution, isn't there? Paul's saying to Timothy, don't just assume that someone's going to be a good deacon without finding out first. And if a deacon is one who serves, then before making them a deacon, get them serving in the church first. Test them in that way. See how they handle it. See how they respond when you ask them to serve. Do they do it grudgingly? Or do they do it willingly? Have they got a servant heart, a servant attitude? Will they get their hands dirty for others in the church? And if they truly have a servant heart, if they show themselves blameless in that way, well, that is a sign that they would indeed make a good deacon as well. So look at his track record, says Paul. Is he one who serves before you appoint him to the office of one who serves? And of course, there's a broader application here, isn't there? That is that as Christians, we all should be serving. We follow a saviour, who became a servant himself. He came not to be served, but to serve. We see as we look at his life, set before us in the Gospels, of what a servant Christ became, how he touched those who were sick, how he washed the feet of his disciples, and ultimately how he humbled himself to death on the cross. And Jesus, you see, is the ultimate deacon of the church just as he is the ultimate overseer of the church as well and as Christians we should be servants because Christ became a servant and especially for those who would be deacons this track record of servant heartedness is essential says Paul and then finally under the qualifications Paul says look at his family and again, just as with the elders last week, the family is a key issue here of a prospective deacon. It's a key consideration to take into account. Now, Paul says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. Now you might ask, well, why does Paul give qualifications for the wives of deacons? When if you compare that to the previous passage, he didn't give any qualifications for the wives of elders. 
I think the reason is this. Paul knows that in that society especially, the work of deacons involved caring for widows who had no means of providing for themselves. That's in the background to the office of deacon, isn't it? When you think of Acts chapter 6, the issue at hand was the care of widows. And if you compare that to 1 Timothy, and in particular chapter 5, about half of chapter 5 is about caring for widows in the church family. And so Paul knows that with the office of deacon in particular, there will be many occasions when they will need to draw alongside vulnerable women in the church. And for that reason, he says, if a prospective deacon is married, is his wife the sort of person who can assist him in handling some of those delicate situations that the deacon might be called into? So is his wife, if he's married, dignified, not a slanderer, sober-minded, faithful in all things? And then verse 12 speaks about the family life of the deacon more generally. Is he the husband of one wife, faithful in marriage, if he's married? And if he's got children, does he manage them and does he manage his household well? Does he care for the needs of his family before you make him one who cares for the needs of the church? And so Paul sets out these four qualifications for those who would be deacons. He says to Timothy, Look at his dignity. Look at his faith. Look at his track record as a servant. Look at his family. And if in these ways he measures up, then he's qualified for this task. And to those of you who are deacons already, pray that by God's grace you would live up more and more as you do to these qualifications. I pray that you would serve well as you fulfill this vital role in the life of our church, protecting word ministry and promoting mercy ministry. And to those of you who could envisage one day becoming a deacon, I pray that God, by his grace, would help you to display all of these qualifications in your life already, that they would be clear for the whole church to see. And for the rest of us, pray that God would bring to us and raise up amongst us those who will serve as deacons in this church in the years to come. So we've looked this morning at the job title, deacon, the job description, as described to us in Acts chapter 6 in particular, and as well as that, the job qualifications are set out before us here in 1 Timothy 3. But as we close, I want you to notice there's one other thing that we should take note of in this passage, and that is the perks of the job, if you like, if I can put it in that term. The perks of the job. Now, Paul didn't mention any perks of the job uh, when he was speaking about the elders, but he does include this extra verse, doesn't he, in verse 13, which shows what those who serve well as deacons gain. And he says there are really two perks or two benefits that come to those who serve well as deacons. Uh, the first is that they will have this good standing for themselves. In other words, Paul is saying those who serve well as deacons become a key part in the life of the whole church. 
Where would the church be without deacons? The church would be in a mess without deacons, believe me. And the church in Jerusalem would have been in a mess and was in a mess before they appointed deacons there. Now, they are vital for the ministry of the church, both in its word ministry and in its, work, in its mercy ministry, continuing to be healthy. And Paul says, therefore, they should be given this degree of respect and appreciation by the church family for the way that they serve. They gain a good standing for themselves as they serve in this way. But not only that, Paul says that they also gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What Paul means here is that deacons, as they serve in this way, not only protecting word ministry, but also promoting mercy ministry. They're given this wonderful vantage point. And that is they get to see up close and personal Christian love in action, in very practical ways. The difference that it makes for someone to receive that Christian love, the change that it creates in their circumstances, to be loved in a a Christian way to be cared for and provided for in a Christian way. And therefore the deacons get to see Christ, who is the great deacon of the church, serving the needs, even the practical material needs of his people. And not only that, but Christ doing that through even their ministry and their calling. What a wonderful privilege it is to be a deacon and to have that kind of vantage point in the life of the church. And Paul says by the, the byproduct of that is that the deacons find that their assurance in the faith, their confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus is built up as a result. And so you guys who are deacons, I hope that you're finding these things in your own ministry amongst us here. That as you by God's grace, live up to these qualifications. And as you fulfill the job description of being a deacon, I trust that you know a good standing in this church and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you Uh, for the fact that our Lord Jesus came into this world not to be served, but to serve, and chiefly by giving his life as a ransom for many. He came into this world, he took the form of a servant. He was among us as one who serves. He washed feet, he fed the hungry, he healed the sick, and ultimately he gave his life for us. We thank you that he is therefore the one who serves in the preeminent sense. He is the great deacon of the church. And we thank you that his ongoing care for his church is expressed in this particular way through the office of deacon. We thank you for this vital role in the life of the church in order that word ministry be protected and that mercy ministry be promoted. And we pray for those who currently serve as deacons in this congregation We pray for Michael and Alistair and John that you would help them to serve well. We thank you for each one of them. We thank you for all that they do. We pray you'd help them to fulfill this task well. Help them in their own lives 
to reflect these qualifications that have been set before us in 1 Timothy 3. And as they serve in this way, we pray that they would know a good standing in the church and great confidence in the faith. And we pray that you would, in your good timing, raise up and add to us more who will serve as deacons in this congregation in the years ahead. And we pray all of this for the good of the church and for the glory of your name. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.